Hey, this is Barry, and you're listening to Alan and Brian on I Lived the 90s. What's up, y'all? Welcome to a new, fresh episode of the I Live the 90s podcast. We are on episode 17 of this thing. I'm your host, Alan, along with co-host Brian. How are you doing today, Brian? Fantastic, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I am fired up to talk about the topic of the day. Me too. We got an extra special episode today. We're going to be talking about childhood baseball movies from the 90s, and we have brought in a special triad of co-hosts for y'all today we have with us my main man and i'm not a modern people when i say someone is my main man he's actually my one and only main man he is a 90s expert he is a baseball expert he's my main man my corner man and a holy man father ben little from minnesota is joining us today father ben welcome to the show thanks alan and brian it's uh a pleasure to be here with you. I have listened uh, faithfully to all 16 uh, preceding episodes, all the bonus material. Uh, and yeah, it's just great to be with you and can share a little bit about myself. Um, as Alan just mentioned, uh, I'm a, I am a, I am a Padre, uh, not a San Diego Padres fan, but a Minnesota Twins fan as noted. Uh, I'm a Catholic priest. I'm a pastor here in Minnesota. Uh, went to college with Alan and Brian and Barry, and uh, uh, so pleased to be here to talk about uh, something that, uh, as soon as uh, as soon as it was suggested to me, my uh, my excitement uh, just uh, just spiked. And uh, love talking baseball. Love talking those movies about baseball. All right, well, we're ready to get started, but first, as usual, let's throw it to the guy who once charged the mound in T-ball, Professor Barry. Take it away. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm talking about episode 16, 90s Presidents. George H.W. Bush had his broccoli quote in March 1990, so just getting us in there on the uh, timeline for the podcast. The Gulf War ran from August 1990 to February 1991 although I don't believe it was ever declared a war by Congress. Whatever it was, General Norman Schwarzkopf was in charge. And uh, Whitney Houston did sing the uh, national anthem at the Super Bowl in January 1991, right in the middle of the uh, conflict. Bill Clinton, uh, prior to being a presidential candidate, was governor of Arkansas. And prior to that, he was one of, if not the youngest attorney general ever, or at least in Arkansas, and prior to that, he went to Yale Law School. MASH still has the record for most viewers, uh, not, not just Nielsen's share, of a single network non-sports broadcast in the United States. Uh, the actor who played Radar is a man named Gary Berghoff. Uh, Arkansas basketball did win the national championship in 1994 under coach Nolan Richardson. It was also runner-up to UCLA in 1995. The football team, not quite as good. Uh, Bob Dole suffered injuries in World War II, which uh, impaired his right hand. Had he been elected president in 1996, he would have been 73 years old, which is the same age as Reagan in 1984. For context, this year, if... Uh, Donald Trump wins, he'll be 74, and if Joe Biden wins, he'll be 77 at election and 78 at inauguration. 
Uh, Bill Clinton was impeached by the House of Representatives in October 1988 for charges of lying under oath and obstruction of justice. He was acquitted after a trial in the Senate in February of 1991. Uh, he was the third U.S. president to be formally impeached. Uh, other than uh, Trump, uh, is Andrew Johnson uh, shortly after the Civil War, not Andrew Jackson, who was president in the 1820s, I believe. Uh, Hot Shots Part 2 came out in May of 1993 when we were nine years old. Uh, despite some questionable thematic elements, it was only PG-13, which is why you were probably able to get in. Uh, George H.W. Bush not only played first base at uh, Yale, he was a captain and uh, accompanied the team on, this, on the trips to the first two College World Series in 1947 and 48. The team was runner-up both times. And as I understand it, my wife, Beth, has already found the photograph in question and uh, corrected the uh, slight error that it was a different wrestler. So you can go check that out on the uh, Facebook page. And uh, that's all I got. Back to you guys. Thanks for coming back again, Barry. Uh, glad to have Ben on. I'd like to say hello to Ben. Hello to Alan. Um, we're going to talk about little big leagues off the top, uh, mainly because uh, Father Ben is from Minnesota, so this movie was set in Minnesota. It's about a young boy who inherits the Minnesota Twins from his grandfather um, and basically doesn't have any experience in it but has a love for baseball. Um, and there's a couple scenes in the movie that I remember where he and the grandpa uh, share this love of baseball. And it's basically directly because of that that the, the grandpa ends up giving him the team. So let's just jump right into Little Big Leagues because it's a fantastic little kid baseball movie. Uh, Alan, take it away. Well, I remember uh, I didn't really know much about the Minnesota Twins as a kid when I when I first saw it, but I definitely liked that that movie was about a team like like the Twins. You know, what kid doesn't grow up imagining that they ran a baseball team? And I think we'll see that as a theme as we talk about more movies, you know, like Rookie of the Year. What kid doesn't wish he was a pitcher for, you know, his favorite baseball team? Um, but I, I like the sentiment of it. You know, I like that he inherited it from his grandpa. I remember there was a good riveting clubhouse speech that he gave, getting his players to buy into him as a child manager. Like, just give me a chance. You know, if we don't turn this thing around, I'll fire myself, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought which I thought was really cool. Really cool seeing a kid kind of step up and, and do that in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy Hayward. Hayward or Haywood? Ben, do you remember? I think it's Haywood. Haywood. Uh, Haywood. Billy Haywood. Yeah. I remember he changes to Bill Haywood in an effort to sound more uh, sort of professional. But, um, yeah, he goes, takes over the team, and he's just going to kind of – he has a, uh, like a person stewarding the team until he gets old enough. But through some legalese, he ends up appointing himself general manager and manager of the Minnesota Twins – and basically trust himself that he that he can do it that he can pull it off right and there's as you noted before there's there's just you know instant sort of skepticism on the part of the team um and it's kind of that there's also like as in um, not just the sports movies geared towards children but in so many sports movies it's the classic you know the team is str already struggling yeah and poor performance on the field and, uh, you know, all those all those plot devices are are at work. <laughs> um, so, you know, here at I Live the 90s, we are not like a movie recap show. So what I would like to learn more about 
then the plot of the movie necessarily is like how real to life and what was it like for little kid Ben watching this movie about his favorite team in his favorite city presumably you've been to or know of the spots that they kind of ended up highlighting oh yeah it was it was a lot like um not to not to cross over we'll cross over briefly to another sport but it was much like the mighty ducks uh, and hockey in in the twin cities in minnesota where Mm -hmm. uh it did uh not quite to that extent but little big league captured a lot of that too um you know the twins had won the world series just a few years before uh, which is when my, you know, love the, in that 91 team uh, really, you know, got me to, to love baseball. And uh, I know this is going to sound a little strange, um, but of the movies that we're, we're talking about today, I actually, uh, Little Big League is, uh, not that I didn't enjoy it, and it, you know, just kind of blew my mind, like a, a movie about the twins and a, and, a, and a kid my age, like owning and managing the twins, but it actually wasn't it for for a very kind of unique reason, wasn't actually my favorite of these movies because I think even at that age, uh, if I was nine or 10, uh, I knew enough to know that like the twins were not very, the act, the real twins were not very good at that time after they had won in, in 91 and had another good season in 92. Um, but it just, I think even I, at that point, had some understanding like the twins kind of stink and that there's a Hollywood movie being made about them, like using their stadium and all that stuff. It just, it kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, even though overall, you know, I had a ball with the movie. It was, it was kind of, yeah, that dream come true. You know, it was like with the mighty ducks, um, you know, stories of like people, you know, who were extras in the movie, uh, <laughs> that didn't happen to me, but uh, all that stuff was going on. And, uh, you know, part of that whole experience. Well, I remember uh, that was one of the few movies from that era where the ending actually wasn't really that happy of an ending. You know, Mm -hmm. every other baseball movie, they end on the championship or they win the ring or the pennant or they make the playoffs or something wonderful happens at the end of the movie where the team has achieved. Mm -hmm. But I I think in this one, like Ken Griffey Jr. makes a game ending over the wall catch that ends the twin season. They don't make the playoffs. Like they just, yeah, they were their, play, their, their season's over. They were playing in a play in game. You know, I think they were competing with, with, for the wild card or something. And they, they're in the one game playoff and they lose that, or they lose that game. Yeah. yeah. Um, which in and of itself, in and of itself is, is kind of a, a reflection of Minnesota sports culture because uh, it's, it's, it's a longstanding, uh, complaint of mine or grievance of mine that Minnesota sports culture is kind of all about, or at least in my lifetime, it's sort of all about, well, we almost got there. <laughs> or like we were, we were in the mix. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, we, we're not, we're, not, we're, we're, we're in a huge championship drought since that 91 series. And um, so in its own way, I think little big league with that, that little bit anticlimactic ending uh, sort of captured a little bit about that, how we, how we relate to our, to our sports here. So my feeling on the Minnesota twins has definitely evolved. Uh, I never had like sports hate from them, but they are big on the consciousness of me and baseball. So as I was coming of age, understanding professional baseball and like committing to it and and watching it. um, 
and I've talked about this on, on previous, if not on previous podcasts, definitely with like Alan in conversations that I was actually a huge Atlanta Braves fan. And that was because I lived in Lubbock, Texas and the regional sports coverage just wasn't there yet. So you got WGN or you got TBS and the Cubs were terrible and the Braves were awesome. So that was a very easy decision for me. Um, and the, the funny thing is I got hooked on the Atlanta Braves because of that same 1991 World Series loss, actually. Uh, my dad, I don't know why, but bet me $5. And in the first grade, so like $5 is my entire like savings. Um, and maybe it was a dollar. I don't know. I'll check with him. But we bet, and he was working with insider knowledge because I was unaware that the Twins had also won like the 1987 title, you know. And it was a completely different team because I remember both of those teams went from worst to first. It was kind of the, the story about it. And then they had this epic seven-game series. I watched a number of them. Uh, and ultimately, um, is it Jack Morris? Yeah. Yeah, Jack Morris kind Jack of Morris. throws it. In, uh, Ten uh, innings. Yeah. Shut out in games. And it was awesome. And it was like, from then, I was hooked. And you can kind of bond with a team that loses in a way. You know, it helped that they went back the next year, lost to the to the Toronto Blue Jays as well. But, like, then I was kind of invested in in. Um, but the Twins are, are an interesting franchise. That movie, anybody that can make, like, Ken Griffey Jr., the bad guy, that's pretty impressive storytelling, actually. Because he's, like, the most lovable baseball player, even to this day after all the Balco and steroids. Like, well, at least we have, like... Ken Griffey Jr., basically. Like, maybe he didn't cheat. Um, and Randy Johnson was in it. Um, Pudge was in it, actually. Uh, do you remember any of the other baseball players that were that were in it? You know, because they cycled through a lot of the major cities. I can't remember any. I, I mean, just, I, think, I think it's unique, though, in that it actually did incorporate actual current yeah. major leaguers in the, in the film. Yeah. I'm not sure any of the others did. All right, so of course a lot of that movie is filmed in in the Metrodome, which is the old stadium that uh, the Twins used to play in. Very unique stadium. I've actually been there before as an adult with you uh, to see a Twins game, and they have that big marshmallowy looking white tarp that covers the thing with holes in it that look like baseballs. So I can never <laughs> I can never imagine how an outfielder could actually shag a fly ball in that outfield, but growing up for the, in the Metrodome, you got to have some great memories there. And, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. Thanks. I do. Uh, I never went to any of the, uh, the world series games or any of the uh, playoff games in 91, but I think probably around that, at least certainly that season, uh, maybe, maybe even once before that I had been to games at the Metrodome and then con continued all the way through the last season they played there was in 2009 and uh, now that now that's where uh, U.S. Bank Stadium is, where the where the Vikings play, where Brian and I watched oh. the uh, watched uh, uh, the, the the national championship uh, last year. Um, but yeah, Metrodome was was a bland, uh, terrible place to watch <laughs> a baseball game in 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 many ways. But it, we we loved it. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about the Metrodome, as Alan said, there's yeah, there's that there was that roof with the with the holes in it and i believe at one point um i can't remember the the name of the player or even it was sometime in the eight i mean it was it opened in 1982 that a, a foul pop uh got stuck in one of those holes and never came down oh wow uh, what's the ground <laughs> rule for for that kind of hit I, I can't remember what the rules were but um i might have been a I, i'm i'm presuming it was a ground rule double yeah um 
and it might not have even been a foul ball. It might have actually been a fair, you know, in, in, in between the lines, but um, I know that happened. Um, you know, even, even little things like, um, you know, that's where a lot of the state championships were played for, for football. I mean, it was, it was also the, the, the Vikings played there too. Uh, so, you know, that was the site of the 98, you know, Gary Anderson missed field goal uh, when the Falcons beat the, the was Vikings. Was that his only and, miss that year? It was, right. Oh. Yep. He was perfect that whole year. That, and that was 98, so it's still in the 90s. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, foot, state football championships, uh, seeing uh, Joe Maurer, uh, my, uh, one year my senior at, 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 in high school at my high school, Creighton Durham Hall. Uh, seeing Joe uh, play there, oh nice! Um, yeah, what just about, just all sorts all sorts of memories there at the Metrodome. Tell me about the baggy. That's all is what I remember, yeah. like from a national scale. Right. Was that like a real home field advantage? Like, did guys not know how to play the caroms off the baggy? I th- I think it could be, or or the sort of the lack thereof, because it was a it was a you know it was, it was like a big garbage bag that just. <laughs> that was just strung up over the, that tier of seats that would lower down to put it into the, the football configuration. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't, it would almost, if it hit, you know, large swaths of that baggie, it would just sort of hit and then ripple down and it would just sort of drop down. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, really bounce, <laughs> it wouldn't up actually bounce up. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, what about the creek that they go? You guys are both fishers. Uh, what did you think of their technique for going fishing? Actually, is what I want to know. Do you remember that in this, that movie, like where they they have the conversation about like, is it actually considered fishing if you don't catch anything? Like maybe they're just I, well, I can't remember what it says waiting or it says something, but they're not actually fishing because they've never caught anything. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. There's there's some there's some accuracy to that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's after a day where you don't catch anything, someone always has to, uh, especially a guy always has to say, well, that's why they call it fishing and not catching. <laughs> Look, I'll put it this way. Very simply. There's no losing in fishing. You either catch or you learn. Ooh. Amen. So what was, what, what, what should they have learned from that? That, that, the, it was just like a little bridge that they were fishing off of. What was the problem with that spot? You learn that there's no fish there. You go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it, if it, yeah, I, I kind of vaguely remember the scene. I didn't rewatch the movie or anything, but um, probably too shallow. That would yeah. be my guess. Um, awesome, man. All right. So I think there's a way to kind of bridge between the two movies here. And I wanted to like dig into these things. So those friendships that these kids had, I think that's a, that's an interesting angle in all of these movies and like the tension that those things get put under because of the massive change required as like the movie goes forward. So like in little big specifically, Bill Haywood like is a normal, like junior high student who's like, okay at baseball. And now he's thrust into this very public, you know, life where he's like going on the road with the team. He's just a big league manager and doesn't have the time for like homework but also just like hanging out with his kid friends and I just remember they bring along this like other little like shrimpier kid to kind of like be the Billy like stand in um so let's talk about the friendships in these movies and like anything that stood out to you in Little Big Leagues and then we'll use that to kind of go forward into uh Rookie of the Year actually 
Well, I feel they recycled that theme in both movies. You know, mm-hmm. kid gets busy doing major league thing. His relationship and friendships with his school friends get strained. Same yeah. thing in, in rookie of the year ever. You know, you can pinpoint the moment where things change. You know, rookie of the year, the moment that doctor said funky butt loving. (laughs) 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 Henry's Henry's friendship with those boys that were there in the doctor's office with him wasn't ever going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The the colander on the head trying to be a catcher and all he's got is a pillow in front of him. And like (laughs) Henry's winding up and you hear the crick and he throws the ball and they have to dive out of the way. That's an epic scene. Um, ben, was there anything that stood out to you about about the friendships? Well, just it kind of is, it it's a it's a kind of a wider theme of of just as much as we love sort of putting ourselves and kind of inhabiting those movies, mm-hmm. you know. Kind of even at the time, it kind of made re- me realize like that that was that was supposed to be my takeaway is that that as much as I would love to be like a grown up ball player or manager or executive or whatever, that's, I'm not, I'm a kid. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of, kind of affirmed my, you know, like my, my being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great take. Got um, it. And, uh, but yeah, some, there were some, there were some tender moments, you know, just kind of little, little, you know, boyhood friends. Yeah. So spot take, I say solid a minus little kid baseball movie. Anybody else? For a little big league yeah. or for yeah, uh, a little big league rookie of the year. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I think it was a great movie. I know critically it didn't do very well, but um, again, maybe, maybe I'm just a sucker for baseball moves. I don't <laughs> think a bad baseball movie exists. Even the bad ones are good. Like Mr. <laughs> 3000, Mr. Baseball. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I thought they're fine. You know, I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Despite. Yeah despite my little uh, caveat there at the beginning. So Rookie of the Year, um, probably, I mean, I feel like it's Rookie of the Year in Sandlot for like the most, like if there's a seminal 1990s little kid baseball movie, it's one of the two. And it's just, it's it's about preferences. Um, this one's set in Chicago with the Cubs, another affiliation with a team that was not so good at the time. So I don't know if there was a correlation between that stuff, but that movie was really really good really funny and had the friends they had them building the boat all kinds of uh, stuff like that but um anything that jumped out to you about that little kid movie and how i think it came out first of the of the four right yeah I, it was either that or sandlot mm-hmm. but i know they all came out around the same around the same time there was this big burst of you know kid kid baseball movies kid but... movies in general yeah yeah true and uh man <laughs> What I mean, as an adult now looking back on Rookie of the Year, that's the only movie I can think of where Gary Busey, as crazy as he is, <laughs> is like the is like the veteran, responsible, father-like, you know, character in the movie, and not just some haywired crazy dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was reserved for Daniel Stern, who like I could never get over the fact. You know, he's the, he's the clubhouse attendant. I can never get over the fact that, like, he was the voice of, like, adult Fred Savage. And then also that he was, like... Oh, in the Wonder Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he was also the uh, uh, part of the Sticky Bandits, who eventually became the Wet Bandits, right? Was it the Wet Bandits first? And then the Sticky Bandits? Yeah, it was Wet, yeah. It was wet yeah. first. But that was, a- I mean, that was after... I think the movie came out after both Home Alones. Yeah. So he was... Uh, a known quality. Oh, right. Yeah. 
So, yeah, the adults, there's not a lot of adulting, with the exception of, like, the mom in that movie. Every other adult in that movie is just kind of like, how are you who you are, with the exception of, like, Chet Stedman, who's, like, bringing the cheese, the, the high, well, the, the hot, stinky cheese. Wasn't yeah, he, I, wasn't wasn't he also called the rocket in that movie, which yeah. was like a total ripoff of Roger Clemens? <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> um, that movie was ridiculous because, like, one, the Cubs win the World Series, which is BS. It's, that was never going to happen. It took another 25 years. When, when did they finally win it? 2016? 2016. Yeah. Um, but that movie, I think, was just the most, like, gimmicky but him being like this freak accident, you know, slipping on the baseball, becoming a professional baseball player is just, I think that's got to be the dream. I know you've talked about like everybody wants to be a little kid as a professional baseball player. Like that was just, they were all our age. So it made the most sense that that like for me was like, that's the one I could see myself actually being. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even when I was a kid, it wasn't like, I want to grow up to play for the Rockets. It's, I want to play for the Rockets right now. I want to be the first 10 year old point guard for the Rockets playing with Hakeem Olajuwon winning championships. (laughs) Poor Sam Cassell. Yeah. (laughs) Coming off the bench, spotting up after Allen. Um, Any, any takes on, on, uh, on this movie on uh, rookie of the year? Yeah, some some of the real underrated parts. One for me is was John Candy as the uh, as the <laughs> one it had to have been one of his oh, last that's right. roles. Yeah, um, yeah, perfect as the as the broadcaster because I mean, there's no like because you know, everybody knows the real the real. If you're going to be re- anywhere approaching reality, Harry Carey, you know, you just can't you can't sort of recreate that. But I thought that was a great little little bit of that movie and. Um, and I, you know, for me, it was just the, um, you know, the, the Cubs, whatever you, whatever you think of them, you can't say they're not a historic franchise and they just, you know, the uniforms and everything, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff just was like, just, it just popped for me in that, in watching that movie. Um, and so that's what I remember. What do we think of the villain? Is that a better villain than uh, King Griffey Jr.? Yeah, the uh, the one he throws the he throws the underhand pitch to the floater, the floater yeah. too. That's when he finds out it wasn't his dad; it was his it, mom all along. Yep, yep. <laughs> Speaking of moms, like okay, rookie of the year, single mother of Henry, dates current player on the team, Gary Busey. Yeah, you know, <laughs> little big league, mother of the new team owner, widowed. Dates a player on <laughs> on on the team. Third, the third baseman yeah, or Lou, the first baseman, uh, Lou. Yeah, what was his name? Baseman. Lou what? Lou something. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's because he benches him because he's dating his mom. That's yeah, well, that's right. a power move right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's just having like the slightest little slump, and so he he takes that as an excuse to bench him or get something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, life imitates art, right? Didn't like for UT? Didn't Mac Brown bench? major Applewhite uh, in favor of Chris Sims because like he like messed around with his daughter or something like that. This or... is the first I'm hearing you that. That's incredible. If that's true. Hey man, that's, that's what that I, I heard. That I, can't, uh, that I can't say, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's life, life imitating art because you know, even today, like all I can, I can't get away from like this, like Paul George, Seth 
Curry, Doc Rivers, like Troika because of this series? Like, are you guys familiar with like what what's happened there? I know that Seth Curry is married right now to Paul George's ex. I don't know where Doc Rivers comes in though. That girl is Doc Rivers' daughter. Oh wow. So oh, now oh, like oh, Doc Rivers coaches okay. his daughter's ex-boyfriend and <laughs> is like coaching against her daughter his daughter's like current husband. Which talk about like okay. if there's a kid that's set up for like NBA success, like if you're if you're a Rivers kid and you're like a curry, like you're gonna be able to shoot lights out. I don't care what, like that's just it's gonna happen. Well, I don't know because Austin Rivers can't shoot worth crap. <laughs> Low blow, poor Austin Rivers. Um, you know, there's there's an, a famous actress like like just taking this that concept of like power families. Are you familiar with like the Rooney family and the Mara family? So no. The, the Roonies so. own the Pittsburgh Steelers, and, oh, the, okay. yeah. and the Maras yeah. own the New York Giants. And like, there is a grand like they they the the families like are married, and there's an an actress who was in like the Facebook movie named Rooney Mara because like her paternal grandparents are the Maras of the New York Giants, and her maternal grandparents are the Roonies of the Pittsburgh like Steelers. Can you oh. imagine like both your grandparents wow. own NFL football teams? Oh man, the rich get richer. <laughs> and she's like this like actress that just could give two two sh about any of it. I'll use the beep on that too. I actually really like using the beep in these episodes. <laughs> okay, I'll good. I'm good to know. I'll make sure to curse more. <laughs> I'll leave yours in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we it's time. It's time we move on to like the little kid baseball movie of little kid baseball movies. The Sandlot, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, Squint Smalls, the entire crew. Um, I'm excited to talk about this one and kind of what I've been like holding back for. So any thoughts off the top on your like what when I say the Sandlot to you, Ben, what do you think of? What, what's like the first like if it's from the movie or just a memory brings back, what is that thing? Uh, it's the it's the Fourth of July scene. Yeah. Uh, just that I mean it all it almost brings me to tears to this day it's just it's really a it's just a really beautiful beautiful scene um you know I kind of kind of what I was talking about a little bit with with um rookie of the year were just the just the beauty of baseball mm -hmm. and Americana and you know just it just yeah it just popped and it just filled my imagination um you know it takes me back to you know watching fireworks and you know following baseball through the through the summer and um, so that's for me that's it. Yeah, that's a great scene. It's got the uh, Ray Charles rendition of "America the Beautiful" playing, and they loved that night because it was the only night that they could play a night game. So I think the you know Scotty Small is it Scotty Smalls is uh, kind of narrating at this point. Adult Adult Smalls is narr narrating at this point, and he's talking about. You know, well, well, we were all normal kids were out watching fireworks like we were we were playing or, you know, we'd stop to watch and Benny always kind of kept kept his head down and was running around. I think that was just like, man, there was something to that scene that just like it hit and like you could like they did it. They did it perfect. I feel Alan, what's you uh, do you have? I mean, do you agree? Or do you do you have anything else you want to add to that? No, I, absolutely. I agree. And I like I like sports movies that also have 
where sports is kind of the minor thing being discussed or, yeah. or covered there. That movie is about being a kid, being an American, growing up, having memories, being with your friends, mm-hmm. reflecting back even now as an adult. I mean, that, that movie works on so many levels because it's an adult reflecting on his childhood. Mm-hmm. And you can watch that movie as a child and kind of be a little more aware of being a child and the things you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to have fun. You know, you're, you're supposed to play baseball. You're supposed to play out in fields, play catch, be with your friends, spend the summers outside. And then as an adult, you, you think back again on that time in your life, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with a lot of sentiment. So yeah, that movie was a baseball movie, but it was more of a, how to be a kid about childhood in America movie. And that's, that's why I really, really like it. Great, great way of, of putting it, actually. And I think life imitating art is when I think back to that movie, you know, the baseball baseball scenes, <laughs> crossing over, that was my Mike Tyson moment, the baseball scenes. Um, <laughs> the baseball scenes are maybe at best like number five because there is like that scene. There's the chase with, you know, the beast. There is the Wendy Peppercorn scene. And then for me, it's actually the scene with Yeah Yeah, who gets like dropped and goes crazy, and like because he gets dropped on the wrong side of the fence while they're trying to get the ball back, and then like maybe a baseball scene with like the other baseball boys, like the, you know, the 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 cut down war with Hamilton Porter and the the the, the like, the organized baseball kid, like that's like the first baseball scene that I think of. Yeah, it was yeah. it was great that they beat them. I mean, how how, <laughs> like how awesome them. was that? Yeah, easily beat them. Yeah, in yeah. a way game. And that was, yeah, and and that that was the it was part of the idea too. Is just that they they were scrappier. It made it made scrappiness look look uh, like attractive. Like that's how, how I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting fact about that movie. Did you know that the actor that played Benny the Jet? It was his real life older brother who played the grown up Benny the Jet that oh. was in the major leagues. That actor actually ended up dying. I think he was a firefighter and uh, I think he died. Interesting. I did ha- wow. know that he was a firefighter. I did not know that he that he passed away. Um and like the the Jet. success of like the character Benny the Jet like launching Mike Villari Nano, I don't remember what his last name is. Um so much so that they like put him in the Mighty Ducks movie, like the second Mighty or third Mighty Ducks movie, where he's like, I remember about him in that movie is he doesn't know how to stop. Like he's got incredible speed, but like he just doesn't know how to stop on skates, basically. I don't think I ever made it to the third Mighty Ducks. I think, uh, I think after the second one, I was Emilio Estevez out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come back? I think for Emilio Estevez Estevez out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so let's talk about like the friendships in that movie and I always thought like very highly of Benny the Jet Rodriguez and I don't know if it was like it was kind of ca- couched as like the selfishness of like well we need a ninth player but like all the guys kind of wanted to make fun of him they smallest when he wanted to join the crew and they he, he was not accepted at all which is like very true to life if you ever went to a new setting and there were different kids like unless an adult kind of like shepherded you in and kind of like made it okay like if you just came up on a random bunch of kids that were already friends that was not going to go well just because you're an outsider and kids we're all tribal right so 
I thought that Benny the Jet Rodriguez was just a really good character because he was a leader. He knew he was a leader, and he knew that if I accept this kid, these guys will fall in line, and that's exactly what happened. And he treated him well. You know, he really cared about him, which is why he took it upon himself to, like, pickle the beast, basically. Yeah, that's that's yeah. so true, man. He was such a good kid, and uh, you know, it's it's funny. You know, we like to tell personal stories. Yeah. Uh, so I can relate to that, not as the Benny, the Jet character, but kind of the kid that was a little bit new and not really good. Mm-hmm. I remember. I won't mention names because who knows if these people listen to this podcast or not. I have no idea. People listen to this that I wouldn't even think listen to it, it's but. True. Uh, there, there was one recess. It was fourth grade. I liked baseball, but I really sucked at it. And I was really bad at playing catch. And uh, but I wanted to learn and I wanted to play. And uh, there was I was trying to play with this one kid who I, you know, we were we were friends. And the worse I threw the ball, the worse I whiffed on uh, on, on catching the ball. He would just laugh at me. He's like, man, you suck. Ha ha. You suck. He would laugh. And I felt real bad. And another kid actually kind of pulled the Benny the Jet. He like took me to the side. He's like, no, you know, throw it, throw it like this. You know, when you want to put it in your glove, you know, hold the glove out like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I, and I picked it up and I, I learned it from that. So that just shows you, you know, a, a kid that takes the time to kind of explain things to you, take care of you, um, you know, treat you with respect versus a kid that just laughs with it, laughs at you. You know, there's good kids and bad kids. Benny was a good kid. Accurate, accurate. Uh, ben, any thoughts or any anything that you remember from your childhood or or even like watching back or thinking back on the movie that they kind of stand out? Yeah, I think for me it was uh, the kind of kind of connected to what what Alan was just talking about that um, and baseball just being so accessible. You know, that's to the extent we're talking about the game in in this conversation. It just you know, Benny could, uh, I always appreciate that about the Benny and, and Smalls relationship is that Benny not only was, was kind, was kind and, and, and including him and, and, but just that he trusted that baseball could be, could be picked up. Yeah. You know, just hold out your glove and I'll hit it to your glove. Like, and there, there is just that simplicity of the game. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's no, no doubt. I mean, that was, I was kind of reaching the pinnacle of my baseball career at that time. So, you know, just that, that the game could be picked up and enjoyed with such simplicity. And um, yeah, that was for me, that was connected to that, to that Benny, the jet uh, Scotty Smalls relationship and just the whole, the whole film. I think it, I love it because it takes me back to a place where baseball was it. I think the NFL was on the rise and maybe it was already competing at that point for like our national sport, you know, but baseball was still pre-strike, pre-1994, was still the game. It was still America's game. And this movie in particular set in, uh, well, came out in the 90s and was basically set 30 years previous, right? Like it was set kind of in the 60s, late 60s, we think. I don't know if they mentioned a year, but... um, Dodgers were definitely in LA where the movie was set. So yeah. I think it was early 60s. Yeah. So they, it was, baseball was just a part of life. It was just the way, it, it was the sport that kid plays. You know, now kids can play all number of sports, AAU basketball, there's hockey leagues, there's everything 
you know, you can specialize and do whatever you want. But at that time, every kid played baseball. Every kid played Little League baseball, probably. And that was up through, like, you know, almost every kid played baseball when we were of age. You know, there was, like, the soccer kids, I think, and then there was the baseball kids here, anyway. Um, I don't know. Did you guys have lacrosse up there, or what did you have, Ben? Yeah, I, it was always, yeah, it was all, base, all baseball, really. Uh, soccer, soccer started to pick up mm-hmm. maybe just a little bit after that time, by the time I was in middle school. Uh, but, yeah, base, baseball was still definitely the kind of the boilerplate sport for everybody well that makes sense because 1994 was huge right like they had the world cup here in america and i think that kind of launched soccer as a sport into the stratosphere for little kids so there were some kids that really took that and like hey this is this is it but the point that i was trying to kind of like get to uh just a little while ago that i kind of lost it was baseball was so ubiquitous that i and professor barry this is your challenge for this week i think it was made that in World War II, the handheld grenade was made to the specs of a baseball because it was understood that, like, any grown man should know how to throw a baseball, basically. Does that sound familiar? I have I have heard that. Sir, yeah. I, I will leave that to the, to the professor to, <laughs> to verify. verify. I believe, yeah. yes, um, Alan, outside of the... I mean, that's a, that's a fascinating story about, like, you having your own Benny the Jet, so maybe that, that's, that's kind of your your story, but was there anything that really stood out or any character that you kind of put yourself into? Did you put yourself into the Smalls, like, character? Oh, man, I put myself into the Squints character, man. <laughs> I, I was I was always gunning for the girl that was five, six years older and way more mature than me. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Well, I ended up marrying someone much, much younger than me, but also more <laughs> mature. So I, I kind of did it the same, just flipped it the other way. <laughs> ben, uh, Ben, are you going to buy a, uh, a drugstore someday and run it? Uh, yeah, you know, why not kids? Get, the, get, that, get that Walgreens franchise? <laughs> who, who, oh, ben, did you put your shoes, your, yourself in anybody's shoes? Yeah, I, I, I think there was probably some of that um, feeling a feeling a connection with Smalls as well. You know, just not uh, lo- you not being the greatest player on the team, but just loving the game and um and and being uh, and just kind of the the joy of being included in the team. Mm-hmm. You know, being being I kind of identified with that. Um, yeah, and uh, you know the what what really um what really was one of the most satisfying parts for me was just the when when he finally does start playing catch with with his stepdad at the end yeah and you know doesn't take doesn't take one to the eye and have to put a stake on it you know but um <laughs> like that to, that to me was just such a, a satisfying scene you know because like that was a that was at the time where i just lived to play catch you know out in the yard yeah so Kevin O'Leary plays a good, like, no nonsense stepdad. By the way, like Dennis Leary. What did I say? Dennis Leary. Sorry, Kevin Dennis O'Leary. His, Kevin uh, O'Leary. his, his, Is that Mr. his Wonderful? Irish cousin. I don't know. <laughs> that's Mr. Wonderful from the uh, from the uh, Shark Tank. I think that's who Kevin O'Leary is. 
But uh, that plastic glove had no, like, there was no use in having that plastic glove that got busted in the very beginning. That's one of those ones you get from, like, Toys R Us in the little kid dollar bin, basically. It comes, like, with a softball inside of it, basically. All right. <laughs> the whiff, like the wiffle set. <laughs> just... It's just on the end of the bat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I was probably, yeah, yeah. One, because I talked way too much and way too fast. So that, like, I resonated. But I secretly wanted to be Danunez, which was, like, one of the kids that was, like, better at baseball. He was the pitcher that ended up playing, like, AAA. So I knew I was not, like, the best player on the team. But I always fancied myself to be one of the better ones. And I secretly thought of myself as, like, Danunez, but I'm more, more, more like, yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Way to way to stay grounded, you know. Don't don't gun too high. Like you know, I I could I can make it the double A, triple A. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Um, the I think it just it's set all over one summer, and that was just like I couldn't imagine just being able to spend that much time with that many kids. And then I realized like that's actually what I do. We don't go play at the Sandlot and I play baseball every day, but. We all basically get together at somebody's house and like a game of either basketball breaks out. And then there was somebody who got like a hockey stick for their birthday. And it was early on in the semester. So like the rest of us started asking for hockey sticks. And then we started playing like street hockey because we all had hockey sticks. Um, you know, we played in tennis shoes, so we didn't have like rollerblades or anything like that. But like there was always a game of something to be played somewhere outside. You know, I it's kind of funny with my wife's family, like they're all voracious readers and kind of had conversations about like, Oh, like Brian just doesn't read all that much. And I was like, yeah, basically like I was an outside kid. My grandma said like, you can, you can stay in or you can go out. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going out. I'm not, I'm not staying in. That is not what I find interesting. Cause you can't watch TV when you're in. And we didn't have books at the house. So like I was outside until like lunch. And then I was out again until it was dark. And that was like, the joys of growing up in a small West Texas town where like, yeah, I can pretty much go like a mile and a half in any direction and still be like within reason of where I I'm supposed to be. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a leaf mostly, but it was after we had moved to spring, um, the neighborhood we lived in had lots of kids and uh, we were always playing games outside. You, you know, set up the pine cone end zones, uh, to play uh to play football mm -hmm. if you had three people no problem you know one plays uh all-time qb the other two play db versus versus wide receiver mm -hmm. um you know soccer in the street basketball hoops uh tag i mean just everything frisbee throwing just you're always outside playing and, and you you form your best friendships with those neighborhood kids by yeah. playing sports 100 percent. ben yeah i mean i I had a, a little bit different, you know, I grew up on a cul-de-sac in, um, in a, you know, uh, first ring suburb of St. Paul. And, um, the, uh, there weren't, there weren't a lot of, uh, a lot of my peers, you know, within like bike riding distance or walking distance. Uh, there were, there were a number of girls in the neighborhood, um, that were my age. Uh, but, and so we, you know, we did some of that, like kick the can and, and tag and, you know, yeah. Capture the flag and like kind of some epic games around, you know, hiding in all the neighbor's yards. And it's like, I remember like really a lot of uh, humid summer nights in Minnesota uh, doing that. But in, ter in terms of sports, it was a little, it wasn't quite as easy to, to just have, you know, like, like those kind of games, but I was definitely in, you know, organized rec league 
you know, baseball every summer, mm-hmm. little league. Um, and so I, I, you know, I definitely had that for a good chunk of the summer. And then, uh, you know, I was never like a, I was never like a rink rat. I never put, my parents never, um, pulled the trigger on getting us into organized, uh, youth hockey, which is enormous in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. because it's, because hockey is not the most accessible sport, you know, the getting those rink times, Yeah. you know, I, I remember even in like third, fourth, fifth grade friends having to get up at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday to get on the rink oh. because there's, you know, so many kids teams had to get, get in and out of that place. But, you know, we did, we had a few times, you know, we'd flood a rink on the pond behind our house and, and, you know, I had hockey skates and we'd go out and, and you could shoot a puck around and, you know, stuff like that. So no slap shots, um, a little bit. What's that? No slap shots. No, 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 you can't elevate the puck. You gotta leave. Yeah. Keep it on the, keep it on the ice. I learned that from my wife's family. They uh, they live in the like Buffalo, New York area, so they have long winters with the nor'easters. I don't know if it's nor'easters, but they have you know lake effect, and it's just when it dumps there, it's awesome because like winter lasts forever. So they do the same thing. They'll flood the backyard, and like they build some pretty pretty legit rinks. It looks like, um, and they're all super competitive. Um, but I've, I've learned a lot about uh, about ho- hockey from them. Um, yep. Can I, t- on that, can I tell a, uh, yeah. a Minnesota sports little, uh, a little, uh, little, uh, gem here. So, um, I think it was actually after he, I think it was maybe when he was coaching the the Cardinals, but remember Denny green. Yeah. Uh, um, Denny green, it was, you know, long time coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And I think he was getting interviewed. I just remember there's, they, they play it on the radio up here all the time as kind of a joke. But I remember when it actually happened when he was getting uh, he's getting interviewed about an upcoming game in Buffalo. And he was there. He was he was talking about the weather. And he's like, I spent a lot of years in Minnesota. And I, so I understand the weather patterns up there. They have the they have the Calcutta Clipper, which means the Alberta Clipper. <laughs> <laughs> it swings down, swings up. You have lakefront influence snow. It will not be a, no- a normal October 31st in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think sticking to like our, our, our youth, that's good. That's a good fodder. Uh, I was wondering, you said, you know, Al and I had very similar um, experiences, both being in Texas, both being public school kids. Did you go to the parish school or did you go to a private school for elementary? So I'm wondering, yeah, yeah, he's nodding here. You can't see that. It was the, was the uh, audio medium, but he is nodding and agreeing with me. Um, I wonder if that has a lot to do with it because the same kids that lived in our neighborhoods like went to our schools. So conceivably, even if there were kids in your neighborhood, they may not have gone to your school, so you would have had no reason to like really hang out with them too much outside of like that's what happens. You, you spend time going to school together. You become friends. You, you hang out in the summers and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's there's some there's some of that dynamic going on, um, but at the same time, I mean, like we were, you know, we rode the bus with all of the, you know, my my little suburb is called Little Canada, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know, Little Canada Elementary School, like we in St. John's School, we rode the same bus, and so I knew a lot of those kids. Oh, interesting. It just it it, just, it was kind of just an accident of just the way you know, where people lived, there just weren't a lot of people in that immediate neighborhood I was in. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, you ended up, you ended up, and you actually ended up on those rec teams, those little league teams. There was with, a blending of, so yeah, yeah, it was funny. I had sure. my, I had my baseball friends and then my school friends, and they never crossed over some like randomly. They just never crossed over ever. I, I don't know how that, how the, how the configuration of the city was drawn, but it never worked out. It was interesting how you brought up like you know, public school, private school, you know, everyone in my neighborhood, we all went to the same public school together. There was these two brothers that lived down our street that were in private school. Mm -hmm. They were always inside studying. We never saw them. They ever played. (laughs) We had one, we had a girl, yeah, that lived on ours and she, she got out and played with us for the most part. But then I think, you know, as we got older, that kind of happened less frequently. Um, The, The one time we played with them, they actually came outside to play. Uh, the younger one threw a tennis ball like square into my junk on per on on purpose, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I don't think we played with them anymore. <laughs> was he your age? Was he younger? He was way younger. Yeah, he was way younger. He was right at. I mean, he was small. I mean, he was right at eye level. He just went poof. <laughs> well, if you had had that conversation with the other friend to learn how to catch, you might have like been able to block it. <laughs> You were you, uh, you were you what were you what were you just like throwing it around or were you did you play uh, we called it butts up what's that where you um, you, you you have a tennis ball and you're you're you throw it against the wall and the other person has to not let it get past them okay so if anybody if anybody let if you're you're bouncing this tennis ball you're throwing it pretty hard and bouncing it off the wall maybe off the ground if it gets past anyone they have to go and, and press up against the the flat wall and you can just you can just rock back Egg and em. let one fly and try oh, to hit them. so that's and, wall yeah. ball that's we yeah, call that similar. wall ball, we call that wall ball. Yeah. but we used to play it with we, a uh, like a ball. racket ball actually we usually we used a tennis ball but yeah, yeah. same same izzy. idea i just never you never yeah. wanted izzy to be the one throwing the ball and he was the one that was always designated like if you had to go cheeks up to the wall like Izzy was being brought in and that was never, never good. He was just like this kid that probably failed a couple times. He was like, you know, 12, but the rest of us were 10 and could throw the ball, you know, 10 miles an hour faster, but never wanted Izzy. Yeah, so, so if you had to hug the wall to get, to get hit, uh, we actually called that spread equal. All <laughs> 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 oh, the kids. People. We just, See, we have, we have we have different names for stuff in Minnesota. Like you know, the the most famous one is the we we call it duck duck gray duck, and not not duck duck goose what? like everybody what? else. Oh you, no, that's just you wrong. Never, no. never told you guys that. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, it would and yeah. So yeah, that we there's all kinds of things that are called gray duck brand stuff that because people picked up on that in Minnesota. Yeah. Duck, duck, gray duck. I did not. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. it's literally what, yeah. What you when you when you decide who the goose is, you say gray duck instead of goose. So yeah. Wait, how did you figure out you were abnormal? Because it's not like in college you you find out <laughs> other people play duck, duck, goose. No, I, I I don't remember how that got you know how that how, at least for me how I learned it. But maybe, you know maybe it was like. You know, someone went on vacation somewhere. They had friends who lived or family that lived out of state, and yeah, that's that's not what they, that's not what it's called in you know, that's not what it's called in Wisconsin or yeah. 
Let me let me ask you this. I mean, we're so off topic here, but I don't even care because this is great. This is what this is you... all going to be what's left. I'm cutting like angels in the outfield for all of this. By the way, I love <laughs> I love this. This is what I was hoping to get to. So if this what, is what it okay. ends up being, this is what it ends up being. In the Midwest, what do you call? I'm not going to say that what we call it because I'm I'm trying to compare. What do you call the little insu- insulated sleeve that you stick a a Coke can or a be- or a beer can into? That you slide it into. What do you call those? We call uh, it's a it's a a coolie or a koozie yeah right. koozie okay koozie. that's the same yeah i've heard them called huggies uh <laughs> a diaper bro I, that might be a that might be an iowa thing or a or a wisconsin wisconsin thing yeah oh that's great <laughs> um let's talk more about like our childhood i think these are the stories that always make me laugh and when i go back and listen to these these are the best ones um, were you ever part of like a bike gang or anything? Did you guys ever, I rode with my cousin Jerome, like he was two years younger than me and was just like a little evil Knievel. So like, I was always very cautious and was like, okay, I stay on the roads. I'm happy to go fast or whatever. And like, I'd go ride with baby Jerome one time. He's like, Hey, come with me. Like I found this like pile of rocks and he'd just like go to the top of the pile of rocks and ride it down. Or he'd like jump off the back of like, like Bay, you know, like truck Bay, whatever as they call those and jump off like he was always just like way more adventurous than me and then when i saw like well he can do it all right well i guess i have to do it now um but did you have like a bike gang i mean i definitely had i definitely had kids that i rode bikes with um i can remember you know like i was saying that there weren't there weren't a lot of a lot of kids in, in kind of that immediate uh you know close like geographically in the neighborhoods we were you know where we grew up but um eventually, you know, eventually had friends from school who lived, they were about a, they were about a 15 minute bike ride away. Um, but we eventually started, you know, meeting each other and doing, doing like longer days out on bikes. Yeah. And we, and we'd ride, you know, there was a, there was a particular park where we'd go, like you could, you kind of sneak in this back way and, and ride through some, ride through some kind of woods and, and I would, I don't know if it was quite, you know, terrain like that. And then and actually, interestingly enough, um, sometimes we'd bring our bikes to, to, um, to my cousin's house who lived in the, in the South, in the South Metro, in the South part of the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. We were in the Northern, Northern side. And they had these really amazing, like, um, like woods and pits and like gravel pit sort of by their house. And we always wanted to bring our bikes down there. And now uh ironic i guess uh interestingly that is now like a few blocks away from from where i live <laughs> from where i'm a sounds like you need so, to get a bike bro get you a bike so it all comes yeah i, I gotta dig my gotta dig my uh my diamondback uh 18 speed out that oh, i got yeah, a fancy you're, you're one of those kids with the fancy bikes <laughs> yeah I spent, I mean, I, I spent a long, long part of my childhood on bikes. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just how you got around, man. It just until, until I drove, I was on my bike everywhere. Yeah. I didn't do stunts or anything like that. Just mainly just because the Huffy that, uh, that I had just wasn't capable of, of performing stunts. But, uh, man, you know, there was one punk that actually rolled my bike into the creek. Uh, behind behind the park yeah yeah and i remember i had to fish it out got it out had algae all over it uh you know hosed it down when i got home but you know what i saw that boy 
just a few months ago, right before quarantine starting started eating at a restaurant. After all these years, I should have I should have grabbed his drink and dumped it right into his plate and walked out. I should I don't I don't forget. I never forgot. <laughs> why did why did he do it? It was a punk man. Just yeah. punk kids do punk things, and he wasn't with. He wasn't part of my crew. Yeah, my crew was there, you know, getting minnows. We would 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 use a Gatorade bottle and actually get minnows out of the creek using the Gatorade bottle. Okay. He was there with this other punk kid. Now we knew them from school. Yeah, we weren't really friends with them. And uh, my bike was up resting at the top of the ridge, you know, at the top of the creek, and he just took it and just like pushed it. I don't know if he thought that it would fall over, but like it never f- fell over. Like it stayed on its two wheels, like all the way down and then crashed into the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's I'm not sorry, funny. Alan. I'm sorry. You're laughing at it. It's not funny. No, it's hilarious. It's on my side. I am on your side, but that the fact that it didn't fall over, because that's something that I would think too, like, oh, this thing's going to fall over eventually, but it did not. Oh man. All right. Man. So I'm going to see, I'm going to see him again. <laughs> I know where he quarantine. eats. Make things right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to our last kind of topic in the day. I think it's great talking about little kid stuff, but I think something that affected our little kid, like if we can kind of bridge the gap between the baseball movies and being little kids, something that was super relevant to us being little kids was the 1994 baseball strike and how that kind of hit every one of us, what it meant, and then how it maybe changed us, if it did at all. Um, ben, take it away. Yeah, so the, the strike in, in 94, I just remember um, because it was at that time where um, it sort of became clear to me. I sort of learned, you know, just from like like talking to my dad, you know, because when all the news started that you know, the, the baseball season might stop right in the middle and um, – and you just you just love baseball so much, and that it might go away. It just it's kind of unthinkable that you just, as a kid, you just sort of think that baseball is always there, and the players play because they love to play, and everybody loves baseball. Why would there, why would the season stop? And um, I just remember a conversation with my dad where he just kind of explained. He's like, how you know, how I, I go to work, and you know, I sometimes my boss and I don't always get along. And that, that actually was kind of what happens in baseball too. And it's really, you know, it's really sad. And that, that was where some of that kind of wonder and just, and charm of, and beauty of the game, you know, that's where I kind of had to learn that lesson that, you know, even in, even in, even in something like that, there can be, there can be those, those realities of, of life. And so that, that's what I remember. And just, Mm -hmm. yeah, just being really disappointed and, um, at least I wasn't an Expos fan. <laughs> oh, 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 Alan? You know, as far as the strike itself, um, my childhood when I really got into baseball was actually post-strike. Um, I do know that now that is the year Bagwell did win the uh, – Jeff Bagwell did win the NL MVP, the strike-shortened year. Mm-hmm. And the Astros were, were good at that time, but my – my, I was a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to really, really, really loving baseball. I mean, I followed it, but at around that time, the Houston Oilers and the Rockets were my two, you know, that those are the sense. things I really, really followed, especially the Rockets because they were winning championships around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I was like, you know, middle, it was about middle school when the Killer Bees, when, when Bagwell, Biggio, Derek Bell, 
Tim Bogar, Sean Barry, like every single player, one through nine, <laughs> it seemed, had a last name with a B. Uh, they were Drabeck fun and they were team? good. Uh, he was a little bit earlier. Oh, he was, a, he was a little anyway. bit earlier. It was a D anyway. Yeah. Sorry. But um, but uh, yeah, that was fun. And then I, when I got a little bit older, I started going to more games. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, first in the dome, and then, and then in Enron Field. Um, but uh, that that's when it really just came together for me. Like I, I, I love this sport, and uh, it's weird, you know. You can pinpoint kind of an exact moment where you fell in love with baseball. And I went from being a fan to being obsessed. It was one particular game in the Dome. Um, it was the ninth inning, and Billy Wagner was a rookie and came in to close mm-hmm. and was left-handed and was just throwing gas like I've never seen. Like, to see a ball move that fast live was incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think he got three outs in four pitches. It was like strike, ground ball, ground ball, fly ball. And he just walked off the mound like a boss, closed the game. I was like, man, that was – and I remember he came in to enter Sandman, which I know Mariano Rivera did also, but Billy Wagner did it first. And uh, I was like, man, this this is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> I love baseball. I love the Astros. I am, I am all in. So my first experience with baseball was actually at the Astrodome as well. Um, I have family down in Houston that we used to visit every year. And eventually uh, I was playing baseball at the time. So they were like, oh, Brian plays baseball. Maybe he'd like to go to a game. So I remember it was this epic day and there's one picture of me and I'm at the Houston Galleria and I'm wearing jean shorts. I'm wearing a Chicago Bulls t-shirt. So it's just like a white t-shirt with like the big Chicago Bull on the front of it and like an Oakland A's hat. And like, that's what I wore to like my first baseball game was like, Oakland's not playing. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, oh, baseball. And my parents weren't, I mean, my family wasn't like hip to any of that stuff. Um, And I ended up getting, uh, my uncle ended up getting me a like pack of baseball cards that I had forever. It was in a little plastic case, but it was just like the team roster, basically. It was like, it wasn't Topps or Donruss. It was just like made by the team, pictures of the guys, baseball cards. Um, And I don't want to cross up memories but i only have one memory of my stepdad being at that game as well um and the phillies were in town and i know that because pete and cavilia hit three foul balls within like a 10 like on three consecutive pitches like within a 10 foot like radius of us and the first one that got hit up there my stepdad like palmed so we're up in the second deck behind home plate so he's just fouling them straight back and up and um, I remember asking him about it later because he gave me the ball, like asking about it later. Like, what, what, like, what's that like? He was like, it, it burns because there's so much spin going into it. Like, he just palmed it and like he caught the ball and like it left like burn marks in his hand because of how fast the thing was rotating, like in his hand as he caught it. Um, don't if I if I had to assume he probably had a beer also, like and and caught it bare. So like. I bet there's like there's like a video out there somewhere of like my stepdad Frank just like being a boss. Um, but then like on the next two pitches or maybe in the next two at bats, like Pete Incavilli hit another one like that hit like a couple seats over, and then like one that actually hit the like c- concrete like whatever the stanchion is like you know the the structure itself like bounced mm-hmm. off the facade yeah. of that like right like right in front of us. Um, so yeah, I kind of grew up going there, and then in 1994, I actually made my first trip to Dallas. Um, with friends that had lived in in Dallas, and we ended up taking a tour of the ballpark in Arlington, which had opened that year. Um, but there were no games, so they they played you know 
the first half of the season to the all-star break. And then that was it. Like there was no game. So by the time we went there in late August or whatever, there were no games to be played. So we could just kind of tour the stadium. And I remember that's when I had that feeling of like, awe in going to a stadium because at the Astrodome, it's very cool. Eighth wonder of the world and stuff. Um, but you got to remember like HD TVs were not a thing yet. Like we all had very small, like tube TVs at this point. So when I walked into like through the, you know, uh, hallway out to see the field, I had just never seen or imagined grass that green in my life before. And that's the memory that I have of like, oh, this is like majestic. And also that, that that's my favorite stadium that I've ever been to. And it's a shame that it's like no longer um, around. But something I learned actually this year about like ballparks in Arlington and all three iterations of it. So they have the new ballpark this year. And every year that they open a new stadium, there is like a league shortened year for something. So like this year it was COVID. Um, and then there were two strikes when like the, the, the original one opened and then when the ballpark in Arlington opened. So they never played a full season in their first season in their stadium, basically. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the, the first, first, the first outdoor game thing hits home too. Mm-hmm. Growing, growing up in an indoor indoor ballpark. Yeah, Target Stadium is incredible. It's a beautiful stadium. You know, we drove by it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get to see it in the day, and we had plans to go. You know, full disclosure for those listening, we all had plans to go visit Father Ben and, and catch a baseball game. I think it was going to be June nineteenth because the Yankees were in town, and that was that was kind of the unifying theme. Is like, well. Even if we don't we like all the Twins, do them. We, all, <laughs> we all hate the Yankees. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the strike in particular, I think I was still an Atlanta Braves fan, and I thought, you know, they had gone to the World Series, gone to the World Series. 1993, the Phillies go to the World Series. That's the famous, like, Joe Carter home run season. And then it's like, all right, well, maybe they can get back. And then the Expos, who you just got to feel bad for because that team was just stacked. That's the uh, Pedro Martinez, uh, Randy Johnson... Moises Alou, uh, who else? Larry Walker. Larry Walker, yeah. I mean, just really, really good young. Was Dante Bichette on that team, maybe? I think so. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think um, having that conversation, too, with with my dad and kind of understanding that, like, oh, baseball is a profession, and that's really kind of stinks. It did. It took the sheen off of the thing because you just kind of understood it to be just like pure fun and these guys living living their dreams living the dream that we all had you know a lot of us wanted to be professional baseball players and weren't deluded to understand that that's not going to happen yet you know we weren't we were still under the the delusion that maybe that was still an opportunity for us so it's great to um great to visit with you guys and and uh, share a little bit about certainly my uh my love for baseball and those those movies and the magic they kind of they brought to the the imagination of a you know nine ten eleven year old kid who loved baseball and um, still love the game still hope it can uh, it's it's in kind of another uh, darker moment right now um, but I want to see it I want to see it come back and uh, be able to uh, be able to share it with other people who love it as much as I do uh, like y'all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great to revisit kind of that time in our lives. And it's, it's, it's funny how you can use movies to kind of tie in and take you back to an exact time and place. Um, I think movies do that. And I think music 
does that as well. And, um, you know, baseball is kind of the the thread that kind of carries you through childhood and adulthood. It's, it's funny. It's, it's the one thing that you can relate and call back on as a child while you're an adult. I I can't think of anything else that does that except baseball. Yeah. Uh, echoing both those sentiments. I think it's, it's the first love, right? It's the first one we all kind of fell in love with, or at least I did. And it sounds like Ben did too. Um, there is nothing that I don't think back to that I don't think about fondly for baseball. So even in like kind of trying to remember the strike itself, like I don't really think too much about that stuff because there are so many good memories that I associate with baseball and far into like us becoming adults, even, you know, Alan, we had an epic, just like, Hey, let's go to a game. And it turned out to be just a fantastic experience as like a throwaway day, you know, that we ended up having a good time. So baseball is just, it's a, it's a talking sport. It's, maybe the most enjoyable to go to it's also the most stressful man there is nothing like the stress of a playoff game where every single pitch is just a deep breath moment and there's nothing that you can do to replicate that in any other sport really you know basketball it's going to come down to the last couple five minutes four minutes or whatever and that's kind of the game uh football there are big you know momentum swings and 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 big plays definitely where like, Hey, it can be a game breaker, but there's so much filler, but with every single pitch in a baseball playoff game, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And it's the most nerve wracking experience the entire time. And that eruption and burst of joy is just unparalleled personally. Oh yeah. I can tell you 2017 through 2019 aged me about 50 years. <laughs> um, awesome gentlemen. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for hopping on. Um, you know, this was just, a everything that I hoped it would be living up to it, you know, bringing somebody on to kind of chat with us that was going to add to the flavor that Alan and I kind of put on too. So just getting a different perspective um, on experiences from the nineties and and something that you lived. So thank you so much uh, for popping on with Alan and I. Thanks guys. It's really, really a lot of fun and um, really honored to do it and continue to enjoy uh, every episode. Keep up. You know, it's, it seems uh, to be if uh, a guest on the show, you got to be Minnesota based. So, you know, we had we had former <laughs> NWO member Scott Norton uh, earl- earlier in the podcast. Now we got Father Ben uh, from Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I think before we go, um, yeah. you know, since you're a guest of this podcast, I think I want I want you to t- kind of tell the audience, you know, what it is you do up, up in Minnesota. Tell us about your church um, kind of kind of how, how things go over there, what your day-to-day is like. Because uh, not, not only is this an opportunity for our listeners to, you know, hear our stories, but it's an opportunity to hear uh, a firsthand account of what it's like to be uh, a, a priest. I, I think it's a real unique thing. So, Yeah, thanks, Alan. Uh, I, you know, kind yeah. of tell us what your, what your day-to-day is like. Sure, sure. I appreciate that a lot. And, um, well, hopefully just from from what we're wrapping up here, people can see that, you know, actually a lot of priests love baseball, uh, and love, uh, love, you know, good, good things, good things like that of the, of the world. And, and, um, but yeah, so I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a priest of, um, in, uh, St. Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and it's where I grew up and I became a priest in 2012. Um, I'm a pastor of a pretty large suburban parish in the South Metro, uh, St. John the Baptist in a town called Savage. Uh, I'm a savage, um, so <laughs> um, 
But yeah, we have uh, about 2,300 families in our parish, uh, a school, a uh, parish school with about with uh, uh, about 320 students we're looking at right now for this uh, strange year that's coming up. But um, yeah, day to day, um, I, I have mass, we have service every day. Um, you know, a lot of time spent um, visiting people, visiting the sick, visiting the school, um, plenty of administrative work that goes on. Um, you know, you're almost like a little mini CEO in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, prepare a homily every week to preach at masses on the weekend. Um, you know, during the during the year, there's pancake breakfasts and donuts and, you know, all kinds of things, funerals, weddings, all that stuff, baptisms. Um, so uh, that's that's day to day life. But um, but baseball and, and uh, you know, sports in general is it provides a, a balance and uh, also um, maintaining um good friendships like like I have with the two of you right, and I gotta Barry. I gotta tell like my father Ben story and remind me Alan if you were here for this one or not I think you were so we're all in Chicago so we're all in Chicago hanging out and a couple of other friends are there and uh, there was an incident where somebody needed a ring blessed Alan were you there for this story I, I was there this is the yeah. most baller story any chance I get I try to tell this story about father Ben so I don't know what my, I'm Catholic as well. I don't know my understanding of what like holy water, where it came from. I don't know if there's like a font they all get it from, from, I don't know. I'd, I'd never really thought about it critically. So there's a ring that needs to be blessed and Father Ben is there and they asked him like, hey, could you do this for us? It's like, sure, you guys have any holy water? And the answer is like, well, uh, no. He's like, well, that's all right. I can make some. <laughs> and then you just like... <laughs> You said the blessings you got. What so so you can walk us through. I mean, what is it? What you need? You need salt. What do you need? Uh, you can you can use salt. Um, you know, in the in the before some before some changes where you ha salt actually had to be put in holy water. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have that. It's not essential. But um, yeah, there's just a there's a there's a special prayer of blessing that a priest or a deacon prays over it, and uh, that that's how you get holy water. <laughs> Man, that was that, like that was the most all that was definitely the most ultimate flex I think I ever witnessed firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well it's good. It's so man. Thanks for asking that question, Alan. Thanks for for let, letting Ben kind of just tell us a little bit about himself too. So, um, boys, I really appreciate you guys making time. Um, this one's going to be a little longer, and I'm going to keep a lot of it in here just because it was a lot of fun, and I want it all to be in there and just see the the friendships because that's kind of what this was about. Um, as much as baseball, it's like the, the ties that bind and baseball is a big one for the three of us, even into adulthood, even though we're scattered all across the country. So without much more, um, good night, folks. Thank you so much. Good night, y'all. Thanks for listening to I Lived the 90s. You can find past podcasts along with the companion blog with photos on the website, ilivedthe90s.com, 90s spelled out. You can also listen to Alan and Brian on Apple or Spotify. If you subscribe or leave a comment, it helps more people discover the podcast. Thanks so much for your support.